I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's December. <laughs> Woo! Could you believe it when you, you woke up on December 1st and you were like, it's December already? Yeah, I mean, every time, this has been happening to me throughout November, every time I've been catching a glimpse at the date, I'm, I'm huh? Yeah. This is, oh, okay, this is correct. This is where we are. We are we are in the last few weeks now of 2023. It's, it's so strange to me. Like, how is it already December? I feel like it was just February. And ugh, it's scary how much time speeds up with every year. I know. That is a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Although on flight, do you feel like flights, the more you fly, especially in premium cabins, the quicker the flights feel? Yeah, of course. I think there are, there are, I remember thinking when I was younger that if, you know, in a premium cabin, it didn't matter if the flight said 18 hours. I mean, if the flight said 23 hours, it's fine because of now, even, I mean, because of the frequency that we fly or the frequency, you know, flying for work and so on. Now, even on some flights in the most beautiful cabins, I can be tapping the screen thinking, oh, we still have four hours left. <laughs> so, it depends. It depends. If I, if I want to get there, you know, if I'm not fussed about where I'm flying to, then I'm like, you know what? 43,000 feet suits me just fine. <laughs> that's, I, I mean, of course, your flights to LA were like that. But I, I feel like that often. Any flight over five hours... I'm starting to feel like, okay, you know, we can speed this up a bit. And the bad part is that... <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up, guys. At least in business. And first, it's a bit different. But in economy, obviously, the shorter, the better. I Can you... I don't even understand. I was just reading the other day, like, a discussion on people talking about when people fly from India, for example, to the US in economy all at once. I, I sound like such a snob now, obviously, but... That's an incredibly exhausting trip, especially given that most flights yeah. leave India at like 3 a.m., whether you're going to Europe yeah. or the Middle East. It's true. And, and, you know, most of those travelers will have the choice to be able to stop over for the night. But then for most, it's about just getting there, not about making that journey, you know, more comfortable with an overnight and so on. So you're and they right. might need there visas is, is... for many of the places they're transiting to, which makes it a bit more complicated. Yeah, which is, which is why it's always so important for airlines to continue to invest in the product that is in economy class to make sure that economy is as comfortable as possible because the airlines that have a decent economy class product, those passengers are able to benefit from the fact that ultimately they don't need to dread it. You know, we know that when you're flying economy, if it's a decent product and you've got ample space and leg room and so on and a decent recline and a nice in-flight entertainment and perhaps a window seat if that's what you prefer and you're on an aircraft that's a 351,000 or an A380, then, then you know that there is at least it's going to be comfortable and you don't have to dread it because you're right. Some of these routes, I mean, when you check flight radar and you, you know that people are not just flying from, for example, from the Middle East to the other side of the world, to the West Coast of, of US, for example, but they will have started their journey from the Far East, you know, and they're going that way round instead of that way round. It's, wow. I mean, it's insane. It's a lot. Yeah, it really is. I think about my cousin who, when the COVID lockdown started, was trapped in, well, he wasn't trapped, but he was in New Zealand. So literally the other side of the world from Sweden. And his family was frantically trying to get him home, my aunt and uncle. 
And the only airline, as we know, that basically continued connecting very remote parts of the world was Qatar Airways during the pandemic. So that was the one option left. It was $3,500 one way from New Zealand to Sweden in economy class. But they had no choice. But I mean, his family was definitely going to get him home. So it was nonstop Auckland to Doha, 17 hours. My cousin is over 190 centimeters, six foot three. So I was just thinking, how is he going to do this? He's, he was with his three friends who are also that tall. So I was just, of course, at least with my aviation knowledge, I was thinking, please have an exit row. Please have an exit row. They weren't willing to pay, even though they paid $3,500 for the ticket. But <laughs> when check-in opened, for some reason, all pretty much all the seats in the rest of the cabin had been filled up, but the exit rows were all completely empty. So perhaps it was because they had the highest of high fares in economy, but I managed to get them the exit row on that 17-hour flight, which... Oh, that's good. That's just a lifesaver, especially if you're that tall, and then have an overnight at Hamad Airport before another connection to Sweden. It's a lot. All of these ultra-long hauls, and that that's, the, that's what fuels the the debate about whether or not it is a preference of a passenger to fly ultra long haul and get the whole journey done in one, or if you prioritize a stop, just at least stretch your legs and walk a bit and feel, you know, not as not as tied to your seat area as you just have been for all those hours. And I think until today, we're speaking now in these last few weeks of 2023, there are still just as many people that prefer to make that stopover as there are who would pay the same amount and happily just go the whole way without stopping and arrive sooner. Yeah, nonstop flights or long flights are really for people who are short on time, who just want to get there as quickly as possible. For me, or for anyone who has any extra time, I would say it makes so much more sense to break up the journey as much as possible just to for your health first of all so you're not just sitting for 17 hours and then maybe even more if you're connecting thank goodness singapore airlines for example doesn't have economy on the longest flight in the world but they have had flights on that route with economy and then people are connecting to india which is another five hours it's but just for some just for some context to that so when you say that singapore airlines doesn't have economy on the longest flight in the world that's because the lowest cabin that they offer on that route is premium economy right yes which (laughs) personally i think for anyone 18 hours in premium economy is not exactly a breeze either 18 hours in business (laughs) is not exactly a breeze (laughs) we get it you need a bed okay we get it your your point is crystal clear i mean the the fact that i just filled you with horror reminding you that even premium economy is an option and you're like don't send me there pretend you would do that flight in premium economy Don't change the subject. We were talking about you. Anyway, let's go to the news before we start. Okay, let's let's quickly go to the news. (laughs) So in news, Alex refuses to fly premium. No, 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 no. So uh, I fly premium and also premium is actually... You fly premium cabins, not premium economy. One second. We have a question about this later, which is very, very relevant about premium economy versus business class on a daytime flight. So let's save that for the Q&A, but let's genuinely move into some bombshell news in the industry that dropped on a sleepy Sunday and shook the global aviation sector, which is that 
the Alaska Air Group in the US, one of the largest airline groups on the west side of North America, have agreed to buy its rival Hawaiian Airlines in a $1.9 billion deal. This is as the US government and US regulators are actively trying to fight consolidation, which is where airlines, instead of competing, decide one just purchases the other and it's absorbed into either the same brand or they maintain different brands and so on. And on the whole, consolidation, basically fewer competitors, is not great for us, the consumers, because airlines are able to offer more competitive pricing when they are competing. And obviously, if one has purchased the other, that removes a competitor. So it, it's significant news that nobody saw coming. And given that you are the American voice of the podcast, I think I you speak more you. American than I do on the podcast. Come on, give us that Jerry, accent. <laughs> Jerry, did you did you hear that? He's, <laughs> okay, no, go. I wanna I wanna know I wanna know what did you think when you saw this announcement drop? Where what did you how did you find out? And what's your instinct reaction here to share with us on the podcast? Because this is big. Well, this morning I found out on social media, and I think when people think of US airlines, they tend to be okay. United, Delta, and American, those are the global carriers, which is what comes to mind. And then even though Southwest is actually the biggest airline in the US, many people forget that they kind of, yeah, they tend to be in the background. Then there's JetBlue, which we talk about on the podcast, and Alaska, and then the smallest of the still quite big um, airlines that are not just regional is, of course, Hawaiian. Hawaiian also doesn't really tend to be top of mind since it's obviously very remote, mainly for people flying to or from Hawaii. So I've never flown them. I've never been to Hawaii, but I've flown every other airline in the US. I'm a big fan of Alaska. So when I saw this, we've spoken about Virgin America on the podcast as well. And a few years back in 20, when was it? 2016, 2017, I think 2017, like right? Alaska purchased Virgin America. And they had such a strong brand. We both clearly loved the brand. Virgin American Nose, making a reappear. Yeah, we've done that. Yep, yep. Okay, keep Third going. episode yep, of the Yeah, okay, go on. We, oh, we love the bring brand. Back the discussions of, bring back the discussion of Gothenburg. I mean, that, that was less like, that yeah. had me One day Hawaiian Airlines less. will fly to yeah. Gothenburg direct from Honolulu, I, I swear. No, so. Inshallah, inshallah. <laughs> So Alaska, unfortunately, dissolved the Virgin America brand, which was beloved by a lot of people. And Hawaiian is also a brand that is beloved by a lot of people. It has a really strong island culture. You board. Um, the crew is wearing clothes that evoke a feeling of Hawaii and vacation. It just gets you in the Hawaiian spirit. And they serve free meals on all their flights to the mainland U.S., which, crazily enough... On all other U.S. airlines, even if you're flying from, let's say, Houston or Chicago, I think it's still this way. At least it was historically this way. It's considered a domestic flight, even if it's eight or nine hours, meaning they only serve food for sale. There is no free food whatsoever, which is obviously a huge preference for Hawaiian. So when I at first when I saw this, I was like, uh-oh. Here we go, Hawaii or Alaska Airlines long haul coming soon to a town near you. The part of this that really excited me was that 
Hawaiian, the brand will remain separate. They will operate separately, but they're going to have a much stronger partnership, including Hawaiian Airlines joining One World. And both of us, of course, are loyal One World travelers. So I think you would enjoy the benefits of that too when you move to LA and you're going on vacation to, you know, Honolulu. Well, it's, you know, something, yeah, for the diary. The reality is that this deal, as I said, this deal further consolidates, if it goes through, and this deal is subject to the US regulators ultimately deciding whether or not the previously and still being discussed JetBlue and Spirit deal can go ahead. And then ultimately the outcome of that will, will most likely determine the verdict as to whether or not Alaska are going to be able to acquire Hawaiian that they want to. I mean, Alaska will be taking on the debt of Hawaiian uh, because it isn't the most profitable carrier. Yeah, so that's a lot. So just, you know, just under a billion US dollars of debt. Uh, But this is something that they want to take on. It's also an interesting shift for two reasons. Firstly, when Alaska took on Virgin America, that brand that everybody loved, including us, they were a Boeing airline ultimately introducing Airbus aircraft into its fleet. And so they would have a mix of Boeing and Airbus jets. And ever since the acquisition, Alaska have spent years whittling down Virgin's fleet of Airbus jets in order to streamline its fleet back to being the Boeing fleet. And they've been doing this over some time, only to now, in this (laughs) last chapter, of 2023 to announce the desire or the first move to purchase Hawaiian, which will bring them straight back to where they started in having a mix of Boeing and Airbus jets, uh, both a mix of narrow body and wide body. So, okay, why is that an issue? For many airlines, streamlining your fleet to a consistent type is the efficient part of the business plan. For some airlines, specifically for big global international carriers, it's a given that you have to have a mix. And that's why when you look at big airlines like British Airways, Lufthansa, Emirates, and so on, you will see that mix of aircraft everywhere. But for an airline like Alaska, which is predominantly flying domestic routes, and it's not got the big international stage presence as a global airline, it makes sense for them to streamline with one fleet type. You only have to invest in pilots to fly on one one manufacturer, and then jumping from one to the other is a much more simple process in terms of the training required. You only need to train your cabin crew on one manufacturer. You only need spare parts, engineering, ground services, and so on, for one manufacturer if you streamline your fleet and that makes everything cheaper because of the economies of scale and so on that all follows that for you to then mix in a whole other manufacturer and their spare parts and the requirement to train their crew on separate simulators on separate engineering and so on and so on you're making things a whole lot more expensive now this is not something they will will not have considered of course they will have known this this is all part of the deal to acquire the airline it's just funny that they end up back where they started after years trying to you know to to whittle out the the former airbus fleet prior to the acquisition the second point is as you said it's so important that the hawaiian brand remains because it is arguably one of the largest ambassadors globally of their home state with, with Honolulu being their strategic hub. And it is, you know, Hawaiian for a long time has been about, you know, Hawaii to the world, yes, but more importantly, bringing the world to Hawaii. And yes. that Hawaii experience begins the moment that you step on board. So it's of an abundance of 
importance and so on that that brand remains. And I think they know this. And this is why in the announcements last night, I mean, you saw this this morning, but, but, uh, but I had seen this on, uh, on Sunday evening that uh, the brand will remain and that, you know, this is still going to be because it's just so important to the, the people of Hawaii. And what many people might not realize is that Hawaiian is somewhat of a connecting carrier. At least they can offer that because they fly to Australia, New Zealand, a few cities in Asia, Korea, Japan, for example. This will sort of enable Alaska to have a bunch of connectivity, especially from the, let's say, the left side of the United States, going down to Hawaii, connecting to Australia, New Zealand, maybe to some extent Asia, although it's not as direct of a routing. So yes, this unlocks some possibilities for Alaska, but I think many people are left scratching their heads about these mergers we're seeing in the US because, okay, Alaska and Hawaiian don't seem to have much in common. Then you look at JetBlue and Spirit, JetBlue is one of the best airlines in the U.S., if not the best, while Spirit is certainly one of the worst. So there's all these very conflicting mergers happening or attempts at mergers happening, while in Europe, we're seeing at least more logical mergers. So, for example, Air France KLM snapping up SAS. Can you imagine if we had seen Air France KLM try to snap up EasyJet, for example? That would have been almost similar to what we're seeing with JetBlue and Spirit. Yeah, you're right. And it's funny because this reminded me of the Lufthansa groups, you know, constant focus on trying to assess what airline is ready to be swooped up and made into another brand of Lufthansa. And this is something that big airline groups are, are always assessing. Europe is ultimately dominated by IAG, the International Airlines Group, which is a British-Spanish group that is the parent company owner for British Airways, Iberia, Vueling, Aer Lingus, um, Level, and so on. And then on the other side, you've got the Lufthansa group, which of course, apart from just having Lufthansa and Lufthansa City Line and City Flyer and City <laughs> blah, 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 and all these other Lufthansa brands. Discover. But also you have uh, Lufthansa, Eurowings, Eurowings Discover and, and whatnot. You have Austrian, which is again, its own brand and the national carrier of Austria. You have Brussels Airlines, again, ultimately the flag carrier for Belgium. Within that, you have Swiss, a very, very Swiss brand. And it's funny because when airlines try to, and I say this because when airlines try to, when big airline groups try to, you know, they want to boost their profitability, they want to bolster their portfolio. This is all driven by the finances. They look at the neighbors and they swoop them up with a nice acquisition that is worth X billion euros and so on. It always comes down to, hold on, what are you doing with the brand? Because... When Lufthansa are ruling on decisions to do with Swiss, for example, the Swiss management have told me themselves that they are often having to remind the CEO mm. to protect and to preserve the, quote, Swissness of the brand. I love this word. They said it's our Swissness. <laughs> they, you know, stay away with your Lufthansa gray and navy and let us protect <laughs> what makes Swiss Swiss. You know, and brown that's, and that's so important. And. <laughs> Well, and like, and red, and the chocolates, and the, you know, the, they have, uh, has look, look at that. Now. Yellow chocolate. Yeah, Lufthansa has chocolates following Swiss, because <laughs> Swiss were the OG at giving you those delicious chocolates that they offer on all flights. So, you know, it's about protecting the brand. Brussels Airlines. I mean, Karsten Spohr, the, the CEO of the Lufthansa Group, 
would love nothing more than for Brussels Airlines to just give up its brand and, and allow it to be another Lufthansa and, and just operate as another Lufthansa hub out of Brussels. The Belgian people, the Belgian media, the Belgian authorities would always lobby and make it very well known that they didn't want the airline just turned into another Lufthansa thing, but they wanted to protect an airline brand that while Brussels Airlines might not be the strongest airline brand globally, you know, the heritage there of it dating all the way back to Sabina, which was, you know, the national airline of Belgium Founded from in 1923. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so this is, this is, an, this is ultimately, that's 100 years ago. And so, of course, they shouldn't just be, you know, swept up into becoming Lufthansa light based out of Brussels and so on and so on, because these are these are the oldest airlines in the world. And that first flight that linked Belgium with the UK was in May 1923, you know, almost over 100 years ago. You can see how and, and you can see how important a flag carrier and the role that it used to play still continues to have its impact later on despite all of the modern day acquisitions and the digitalization aviation has had and technology and so yeah. on and so on my so question it's, is, yeah it's a, it's an interesting one my question is do we think that this consolidate or any type of airline consolidation is good for customers or bad for customers because okay you think about an airline like sas struggling very much financially if they were to go bankrupt Obviously, that's bad for some part of their customers, especially the ones maybe on domestic routes that wouldn't be replaced. But in the grand scheme of things, is it better if an airline is bought and then turned into Lufthansa in disguise or whatever it may be, for example, Continental or Northwest or U.S. Airways in the U.S. that all disappeared? What is better? For airlines, it is better to have these deals. Mergers, acquisitions, they ultimately lead to increased profits and better financial health, which in turn saves jobs, creates jobs, boosts economies, and so on. But speaking for consumers, consolidation in the airline industry is a harm to consumers because the, the negative outcome is that the effects of the merger itself is, is just almost always anti-competitive. It just means that when you remove that element of competition, they no longer need to compete as aggressively on price. And as a result, you end up paying more. Yeah, I guess it depends because as I said, it's it's better that they save an airline that might go bankrupt and might disappear completely, of course, for consumers. But then we have the case of Hawaiian, for example, which was profitable before the pandemic. They, they've struggled to return to profitability I don't know how, they, how they've been this year, but prior to this year, even in 2022, when tourism to Hawaii was booming, they made a big loss. In that case, an airline that was profitable before COVID, I would say, okay, there's not really any reason to buy this from a consumer's perspective. But as someone who's loyal to one world, I can't help but feel like, okay, I'm happy if Hawaiian Airlines end up, ends up joining one world, we'll be able to redeem points on them, earn points on them. And get to Hawaii easier than before. Um, I'm surprised you haven't. I'm surprised you haven't been to Hawaii. I would have. It's just so far. It's far from. I mean, growing up in Europe, it's a 12-hour time difference. So it just. Yeah. It seems very daunting. I think if if you live in the U.S., especially on the West Coast, of course you go. But between the fact that it's very expensive in Hawaii, and that it's so far, 
It's just not somewhere that I've rushed to go. But of course, one day I would love to go. Speaking of an opposite climate of Hawaii, I just randomly thought, have you seen Munich Airport from the past week? Crazy. So Munich Airport literally declared, I like the fact, I respect the fact that after so much snow, and this was like snowmageddon, I mean, this was... (laughs) This was a crazy, crazy amount of winter storm snow. I saw on that Twitter in the early morning, they didn't just say, you know, we'll, be, we'll give you an update later. We'll try it. They just said from the morning, they said, there are no flights until tomorrow <laughs> at the earliest. Yeah. Do not come to the airport. You know, just, just exactly. So I much prefer when they set the expectation, bam, from the beginning, then the whole, we will give you the next update in 90 minutes. When, of course, nothing will have changed, <laughs> but we're giving you that false hope that something, you know, to somebody who can't work out with common sense that, look, it's the airport is blanketed by thick snow. I mean, those pictures were astounding. Yes. Did you see that viral photo where that private jet, basically, it's not, it didn't flip, but, but the nose lifted into the air and the tail hit the ground because of the weight of the snow? Yeah, so this was an aircraft that was parked and it tipped backwards, nose up again, as you said, because it had just been weighed down by the level of snow that they were experiencing. And obviously, it wasn't just Munich. It was so many parts of... of uh, Germany and then all of kind of Eastern and Northern Europe. Goodness knows. I haven't heard from Gothenburg in in days. They're probably (laughs) entirely under snow because if this happened to Munich, I can't imagine what's happening at home, Dan. (laughs) I don't know. I don't follow the news in Gothenburg. Every time I go like to read Swedish news, literally the headlines, it's, it's bizarre. The top headline, the last time I checked it when I was with my mom, I always check it for laughs. The top headline in like Gothenburg's newspaper was woman eats spicy sausage ends up in emergency room. (laughs) I was like, how is this the top story today in the local news in Sweden's second biggest city? Thank God nothing worse happened than that. But it is depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at that. That's definitely the kind of national front page that all these global airlines, you know, want to be able to fly to. So that represents a city that's a booming global hub for for business and tourism right there. Look at Of the, course. Dan, sometimes you don't hear yourself, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is why you have no long-haul carriers. <laughs> this is why Gothenburg is a hub in, in only your head and nobody else's. I know, I know. This Munich thing, not this Gothenburg thing, is a great reminder why you need travel insurance because... Yes, the airlines are supposed to cover you, but you can imagine an airline like Lufthansa in this situation has tens of thousands of passengers, probably over 100,000 being impacted because of all the canceled flights. Guess how long it's going to take them to, I mean, forget getting a free hotel room, even reimbursing your costs, which they are supposed to do legally. It's so much easier if you have a travel insurance just to make the claim, you get your hotel covered and forget about it. If you're somewhere like New York or LA, hotels are three, $400 on the low end a night. So if you get stuck for two nights, you're out a lot of money if you don't have insurance. So please Google no, that. So, so, so important. As we move into winter, you know, flight disruption increases because of the weather. And so that's why specifically it's worth having Speaking of flight disruptions, London Heathrow. I just, 
For some reason, every December, when I start listening to Christmas music, especially when I start listening to the Love Actually soundtrack, Heathrow just comes to mind because obviously Heathrow is a big part of the film. And although I have to say I hate a lot on Heathrow, to me Heathrow is the Christmas airport, maybe largely because of Love Actually. When I think, where do you fly through to get home for Christmas? You go through Heathrow and you feel the holiday yeah. cheer. You have, you know, the Christmas specials from M&S and wherever it may be. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. There is something Christmassy uh, that is, there's something Christmassy about airports during Christmas time, of course, but there's something specifically Christmassy about Heathrow and specifically arriving. And yeah. also I find that when I'm flying in December from Heathrow and I'm in the check-in hall, it just looks like everyone there is flying home for Christmas. And everyone's all bundled all up December, and you get that vibe. Everyone's that... <laughs> bundled up and it's all lovely and fine until there's cancellations and exactly. suddenly everything looks horrible. <laughs> but until that point, it looks really nice. When everything's running smoothly, it's a very nice Christmassy vibe. You know, it's dark from 3 p.m. <laughs> oh yeah, that's trees. what I didn't think about. Yeah, although I found it completely weird. I remember traveling this January. It was like January 12th. And I was flying from Terminal 4. All of the Christmas trees were still up. That is laziness. But I like it. I mean, January and February. January 12th. But January and February are so depressing in Europe. Just keep the Christmas cheer a little bit longer to keep people no, happy. No, no. no, they should just put the clocks forward earlier. <laughs> That's that would be the that would be the way out of the doom and gloom of but don't, the dark hours. I mean, both of us don't really spend the winters in Europe, but don't you feel that there's something missing in those early months that could make it so much nicer to be there than just the gloom of waiting between Christmas and spring? Well, I always find it funny that, for example, let's talk like work-wise. Okay, so conferences, events, ceremonies, and so on everyone rushes to have them all take place between October and December and nobody does anything for January and February. <laughs> Whereas January and February, more, people tend to be more available because of the fact that everyone's just rushed to do it by the end of the year, you know, when the momentum is there and the vibe is better. I don't know. I mean, I like it when, for Europe, when you know that in Europe, every day is getting a little bit lighter and you're on your way to those lighter evenings. That's that's good because I think that's really important for just the morale in, in these European countries that struggle with the long, dark winter evenings that just go on and on and on. But I stand by my point. The Christmas tree shouldn't still be up by January 12th. I mean, that just portrays <laughs> I, laziness. <laughs> I thought about going home for, or well, going to Sweden for Christmas, which I am. Uh -huh. And yeah. on the one hand, I'm so excited to see my family. My cousin has the most adorable baby. But on the other hand, I was just like, oh, I don't want to go to the doom and gloom and the darkness. And there's never snow. In, well, there was snow, but there's rarely snow in Gothenburg. Because why would there be in Gothenburg? I'm going to preemptively diss it so you don't have to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. In the north of Scandinavia, there's snow. There's, you know thick snow it yeah. feels like christmas but in much of europe it's just like gray drizzling yes there's at least a christmas vibe but it's incomparable to the summer it's just it's like a completely different place i know and we, we you know we both we both have spoken before how we prefer the the summer and the sun and the warm months and so on but also it's a time you know 
because so many people are not working and they're off and, and so much has stopped, then it is a time to embrace, you know, those days over Christmas and towards New Year, embrace the whole just being with everyone and not thinking about work and just laughing and joking and playing charades and watching Christmas movies <laughs> and watching films that you used to watch when you were a kid. And it does give that window of time to do that because let's be realistic. We're not doing that January, February, March, April, May, June. We're not doing that any other time of the year. So sometimes I That's think you true. have to just take that time, throw yourself into stuff that you don't usually do that we used to do traditions and, and just the art of not doing much at all. And, you know, being in the kitchen and seeing relatives and all this kind of stuff before you know it, everything has resumed and the rat race has returned and the meetings have started and the, you know, and then you think, okay, maybe you should have thrown yourself in a little bit more. There you go. There's my, there's my, <laughs> that's advice a good reminder. Actually. Christmas 2023. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do that. I'm always working like crazy around Christmas because YouTube ad revenue is the highest in December. So I'm always trying to crank out videos in December, which now I'm like, why, why now, do they have okay, to make so us why is YouTube? Why is YouTube ad revenue higher in December? Why do you think it's higher? <laughs> because more people are at home and are watching. Um, no. Well, more no? people are shopping. No. People are spending the most money oh. out of any month in December. So that's why advertisers okay. are having to pay much more to compete. So in fact, most YouTubers see their revenue drop by about 50% from ads in January compared to December. <laughs> so it's a huge drop, which is why everyone wants to capitalize on December. That's why you see many like people do vlogs every day. There's this thing called Vlogmas yeah. where they vlog every day until Christmas, which it's not because they just feel like, ooh, let's get in the holiday cheer. It's because they make more money <laughs> doing it. No, that's really interesting. Speaking of Christmas, there is a hot new gift for AvGeeks, although yes, it is for sale on eBay and stuff, but it's not really something you can buy. It is something you can get for free if you're flying Delta. This went viral on social media because apparently some pilots have basically trading cards, collectible cards of the aircraft. I think it's the aircraft they fly. So you can ask the pilot if you're flying, let's say, an A320, and you'll get this really cool A320 trading card, and then you can try to catch them all. So some people who have collected them all are selling them online for, for fortunes. But when I saw this, I was just like, this is such a genius idea to make people excited about trying different aircraft types and collecting them all, right? So is it like, you know, at Disney, they people go and they exchange the pins, that kind of thing. Is that the same kind of concept? Well, I've never been to Disney. <gasps> Embarrassed. <laughs> so what? Know. No, I've I've never been to Disney. I shocking fact. What to any? No Disney. To any of them? No, not a single one. I I don't hate Why? Disney or anything. <laughs> I I've just never never gone. Like I prefer. I like Six Flags, for example, in the U.S. where there's adrenaline. I don't think they have really those types of rides at Disney. Anyway, let's get back to these trading cards. But whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've never, you know, Disney is not just like, you know, teacups and and that's it. You realize that there are heavy duty, thrilling rides. I don't right? know if they're as thrilling as. Well, do you know what Six Flags uh, uh, is? Sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, I know what Six Flags is. Okay, <laughs> and also, also the key in that sentence you just said it started with the phrase. 
I don't know, okay, because <laughs> you haven't been to Disneyland. But I'm just more shocked that as a half European, half American, you know, Disney's two largest present areas, Disneyland Paris and Disney Florida, <laughs> you haven't been to either of them. Disney's amazing at any age, not okay. just because it's yeah. Disney, but the rides are amazing. I just went to Disney in August. You did? Where? In London? Wait, not in Paris. In no, no, not in London. Okay. <laughs> well, you really don't know anything don't about know Disney. Anything about okay. Disney World? Right. I went. No, no. We drove to Disney in Paris and uh, went on Hollywood Tower of Terror multiple <laughs> times, which of course means nothing to you, but definitely it something to the listeners nothing. because it is thrilling. I mean, there's a new ride of the Avengers. It is so extreme <laughs> i mean i can't tell you how much they warn you if you have neck pain if you have chest issues if you have breathing issues if you have um you know anything if you suffer from motion sickness like don't come on this ride it's brand new it's so extreme we went on it twice and i was sure i was going to get motion sickness but i think the adrenaline stopped me disney is incredible you have to go because I think you will be pleasantly surprised. Not only is it state-of-the-art production, as if you are walking in a movie set, but the rides, some of them are thrilling. Like, everyone <laughs> okay. there is of every age. Oh, but Dan has decided that he hasn't been to Disney in London. But there's there's also this new, this new kind of joke on social media about Disney adults. Obviously, you're not one of them, but... There's those people, especially when the pandemic was ending and people were going to Disney for the first time since COVID and they were like collapsing yeah. on the ground in tears. I'm back. I'm back right. at Disney. So it was. Yeah. Th okay. That's not. No, no. They're a, they're a diehard. They're a diehard yeah, Disney. That's folk. a bit there over are, the there top. There are forums about it. No, of course, anything to be diehard about is a bit over the top. Okay. It will be diehard. You, you know, the fans of the nonstop Dan YouTube channel, I perceive to be in the same category. They're amazing. Right? So <laughs> they're not yeah. like Disney adults. <laughs> in your opinion. Okay. <laughs> but the, 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 you know, the reality is that Disney is so, Disney is such an experience at any age and the rides are so thrilling. I mean, Dan, I just, I can't quite believe. <laughs> You haven't experienced <laughs> the you magic. Know, I'm surprised you missed the chance to say when I said I hadn't been to Disney that you didn't say sorry. And then yeah, well, I am to sorry to hear that. I You're right. Sorry. You know why I didn't have the time to make that joke? Because I was genuinely shook. Yeah. Okay. So, right. Why were we talking about we Disney? We were talking I about trading cards. Can I Delta, get back to my story? <laughs> Yeah, well, well we you can, know, but the thing is now my point was pointless <laughs> because you don't know what that trading pin thing is. Don't get me wrong. I haven't done it, but it's a thing. So you take so, the, so you must Delta be scenario, familiar with Pokemon cards, for example. Well, I've never engaged, but I know what it is. OK, when I was young, I used to collect Doctor Who cards, which is, you know, it's just collectible. Sorry. Cards. Yeah. When I was young and lived in the UK, I collected Doctor Who cards. Oh, no, I heard what you said. <laughs> What? Do not hate on Doctor Who with David Tennant. I'm, okay. just, I'm just sorry. <laughs> d d when I was eight and nine, I was obsessed with Doctor Who. Anyway, that's besides the point. There are a lot of different collectible cards. People collect baseball cards. So this is just another thing. Although there's only, I think it was 12 different cards you can get. It's like a shiny little card with the, the aircraft type on it. Oh, wait, let's okay. see here. There's actually 62 cards 
which I wonder how is that even possible? I don't understand exactly how it works, but anyway, my point is I think it's really smart because it gets people engaged with trying to fly the airline more specifically on mm. different flight times, different routes to try to get different plane types just because people love the idea of connecting, collecting things. Of course, as an avid, apparently this is not, this is amazing to me. Apparently this is not new. No, no, no. It's just become viral in the past week, which is why we're talking about it. Viral on what? On social media. People were posting about, did you know about this on, and that? On TikTok? Yeah, I guess TikTok and Twitter. So it's going to no, appear no, for me on Instagram in two weeks. Yes, or maybe, yeah. you know, a few months, depending on your algorithm. One question about this, though, is how does it work in terms of you have to ask the pilot for it. So at what point during the flight either boarding or when you're disembarking, is it appropriate to be like, hey, pilot, can I get a card that they have to fish out of their pocket? Imagine you're boarding an A350 and there's 300 passengers asking for a collectible card. That's not going to be so efficient for the airline. From age seven until maybe 14, 15, I used to write the flight crew a letter on every flight. And I used to say... My name is Alex Macheras. I'm eight years old. I am massively passionate about aviation. Uh -huh. I'm super happy to be flying on this A319 today. And I know that <laughs> the airline, blah, 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 blah. I used to write, pull my heart out in this letter. And I used to say, if there is any time, I would love to come and visit you in the flight deck after we land, if we have time. And thank you so much. And do you know what? It was always received so well. Eight-year-old Alex would be sat in that aisle seat and the crew would be coming after having handed the letter and she'd have a big smile on her face and she would say, our captain loved the letter. He wanted me to give you this weather chart. He wanted me to give you this copy of the map. Today's route. Did, did airlines give you, give you, you those wings? You know, the wings that you yes, get. Yes, yes, oh. yes, yes. Here are, some, here are a set of wings. And then they would say, and after we land, please come to the front and we'll take you into the flight deck. And I would always be in there for as long as I could after arriving I, I used to do that i mean every single flight almost every week when we were going back and forth you're inspiring me to do it now i'm like, hello i'm a 26 year old boy back in yes. seat 9c please let me come to the cockpit yeah i'm a tw just an innocent 26 year old youtube ad revenue hungry youtuber yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to get those clicks um no, but they, it was always received so well. And I'm always so grateful to the flight crew, especially when I was that young, to have because those experiences for me, I mean, I could not take the smile off of my face for the next 24 hours having Aww. been in the flight deck. And obviously, you know, you couldn't do it during the flight post 9-11, but, you know, before and after was always, I mean, there are videos of me doing the PA announcements from the flight deck before departure from the cockpit. And my mum would be videoing it in the cabin and I'd be welcoming everyone on board. Like, because the pilots would be the same crew maybe that we flew out with on a passenger flight, let's say on EasyJet, and they would they would know me. Like, I would board and they'd turn around and they'd be like, hello, Alex. And I was, I was eight. Um, so that That's was... That's uh, so sweet. I was just talking to an Emirates crew, not just, but I was talking to an Emirates crew and they were, they've been there quite a long time. And they were saying how they noticed such a generational divide between millennials working as cabin crew and Gen Z working as cabin crew. And it raised a few alarm bells because he was like, you know, most of the Gen Z, they are only coming to Emirates because they want to live in Dubai. They want to post on Instagram. They want to, you know, 
be the have the filler steroid life and hang out on the beach and they could not care less about flying they just want some job that lets them live in dubai and it seems glamorous so of course we're talking about someone who is not super young so you you always kind of judge people who are a lot younger i guess but his perspective is that these younger crew do not care about the job and do not care about passengers at all. And obviously, having fired a lot of crew during COVID, most airlines are hiring a lot from Gen Z, which made me think, hmm, maybe this is why service across the board is generally a bit more sloppy, especially in you know economy, even business on some airlines. So then I think if you, eight-year-old Alex or an eight-year-old nowadays, had handed that note to some 22-year-old Instagram girl on Emirates, hopefully she would have responded warmly to it. I would hope that any human would be like, oh, this is so cute. Or would they just be like, weirdo, stop wasting my time, you know? God, I hope not. I really hope not. Because he was saying that... Social media is toxic anyway. Yeah. I I, I always think that if if I was not doing what I did for work, I wouldn't be on it. Same, honestly. That's why I try and limit the... (laughs) But guys, don't delete your social media. Please keep following. (laughs) We're in a weird position. Follow, like, and subscribe. (laughs) I know. know. It is, isn't it? Because... But uh, but I think think we have healthy relationships with social media. You know, I'm not... I don't think that you... You know, I like this. I love the connection part of social media. I love the network. I love sharing the passion, enjoying other people's passion, and so on and so on. It's not... You know, there are people that are just on it and progressively it gets worse in terms of the impact on mental health and so on yeah. because of the stuff that they're consuming and the way in which it triggers some kind of fear of missing out or, you know, what you're doing is not as great as what this other person is doing and so on. And so on. That side of it is just awful. Yeah, I really have to I have to make a genuine recommendation here that I don't have any relationship yeah. to this company, but. I found the most amazing app through a YouTuber who invested in the app. It's called ClearSpace. And basically, if you've ever used Apple's screen time, you know it doesn't work because you set a limit and then you just keep overriding it. You don't care about it. This app, ClearSpace, is like the hardcore version of that. So you set how many times a day do you want to be allowed to go into an app? So for example, for Instagram, I've set I'm allowed three minutes. And then you set how long each session can be. So I set two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, and 15 minutes. So when I click Instagram, it takes me over to this app. I have to do a like a 30-second breath exercise first. Then I have to go through this thing where it asks me, are you sure you want to go to Instagram? I go, yes. Oh, wow. Then I have to choose how long I want to be on it. And after those minutes have expired, my time's up. It kicks me out of the app. And I have to redo the whole process again. And I can genuinely say that this app has pretty much made me stop using Instagram. I'll go in once every few days to like, you know, your stuff or someone else's stuff, respond to DMs. But I I do not scroll Instagram anymore. So if you have problems, you know, going down social media rabbit holes, clear a space. It's genuinely amazing. I've heard of it. I've definitely seen adverts for it. And it's that, isn't it? I mean, I go into, I open the Instagram app a lot every single day, but it is to reply to messages. It is to continue the conversation I was having in DM. It is to quickly post a story or so on. But one thing I'm quite firm about is is not scrolling. 
like not pressing that explore button and going yeah from one then to you're other. screwed that's the dangerous part yeah that's the dangerous part well speaking of social media here are the questions that we welcome and receive via social media from our listeners around the world let's get into our q a the first question we have is from lucy she says what do we think of carbon offsets and with cop 28 currently underway in dubai is there ever a way that we can achieve guilt-free flying tough question lucy i think that we will be able to achieve some form of what will be close to guilt-free flying basically flying that has been heavily decarbonized thanks to the tools that we have like sustainable aviation fuel and so on carbon offsets will not really have a significant role to play because of the way in which they are such a long-term measure that the all it does is kind of you know i mean the clue is in the name it offsets but but when i mean if you're flying x number of miles and then that equates to you needing to plant x amount of trees in order to offset the carbon that you have generated by flying those trees will not have been grown and be ready to capture the carbon from the atmosphere for 20 to 25 years Oof. aka it's not a great measure a that you know not really doing much it's a lot in the short term i would be and i am as an individual actively lobbying and working towards solutions that will provide us near-term solutions to be able to decarbonize the aviation sector and have air travel reduce its impact on total global co2 emissions it's currently at three percent but it is forecast to grow significantly if we continue to grow as an industry as we are so for me that would be sustainable aviation fuel and widening its use bringing down the cost through government subsidy and increasing the demand through incentives for airlines and so on and in addition to saf sustainable aviation fuel it would be to look at measures to improve and optimize efficiencies not least with airspace because we still fly in very inefficient ways in old bureaucratic airspace designs such as especially in europe where in the eu we could have a single european skies which would be much more efficient but this is a document that has sat on the desk of the european commission for 20 years and nobody's done anything about it we can explore a deeper dive into it in a future episode but in a nutshell we're not flying the most efficient routes that we could be with different altitudes and so on we're still flying based on maps that were around 20 30 years ago and that in turn is increasing the amount that we pollute as a sector and we can get around that if we push away the bureaucracy and modernize things like aerospace efficiency. I love how you're speaking for the sector. That's very like on behalf of the sector, we need to do this. That's that's nice. I think many people see, for example, <laughs> some airlines like KLM, hopefully they've improved this, but just a few years back, I remember they would be like, do you want a carbon offset your flight? Only $3 for a flight from Europe to the US. And it's just like, we all know that $3 is not offsetting the carbon for this long haul flight. It's yeah. the airlines just do it to let people clear their conscience, but it's not actually having a big impact. I hate a lot on SAS, but SAS is really because of the sustainability consciousness in Scandinavia. SAS is really serious about it. And they do have an option where people can actually pay to add sustainable aviation fuel to their ticket. Of course, as it should be, it is expensive because we know SAF is expensive. So for example, yeah. if you're flying from Europe to the US on an economy ticket, 
if you want to add a hundred percent SAF on your ticket, it's going to triple the ticket price. So how many people are doing that? Realistically, pretty much no one. I also want to point out something that freaked me out on Google flights. I only really recommend searching on Google flights for booking. They, I guess about a year ago or so they introduced, have you seen that where they show the emissions and they compare it like each yes. flight shows plus, you know, 10% emissions compared to average or less. Yeah. So I was searching Singapore to Sydney and I came across, they've added something that really puts things into context. There was a scoot flight, which is obviously the low cost airline of a low cost version of Singapore airlines, extremely dense configuration on a very efficient plane, the 787. So it says here, if you fly a scoot economy ticket, you'll have 27% less emissions than average. So 20% less than average. Then underneath that, they write those 27% avoid as much CO2 as 11,800 trees would absorb in a day, which just made me wow. think, wow. So the difference between let's say a Qantas A330 and a Singapore and a Scoot 787 in economy is equivalent to almost 12,000 trees. That can you imagine what the emissions are or how many trees are required for a first class ticket, for example, on that route? It's it's really scary. And that, I was just like, Woo, this is more than I thought. It put things into perspective. And that's why the answer to the carbon offset thing is that actually you're not doing anything by giving $5 to plant one tree that's going to take 20 years to even capture 1% of the carbon that you have emitted, which is why I always think it's just not worth engaging with so much now that we know there are other solutions that are actually able to help decarbonize like the fuels. And, and frankly, flying airlines that you know care about sustainability and fly efficient fleets does help and does go a long way because you have, for example, Turkish airlines who have explicitly said that their focus is not sustainability. Well, fine, not really fine, but that's their opinion. Then maybe for people who are really passionate about sustainability, they are not the best option. An airline like SAS that is super serious about it might be a better choice ju just to send the message. Yeah, no, no, that's so true. The next question is from Ricky. He says, Hey guys, should I book premium economy for a six hour flight over business given that there is no plan to sleep? I see that the only added value in business class would be that the seat becomes a flatbed. What do you think? Well, the big question to me is the price difference. Usually yeah. premium economy is much cheaper. Well, it depends on the airline actually. For example, Emirates prices their premium economy closer to business than they do to economy, which is very interesting. But then you have Lufthansa, British Airways that charge it much closer to economy. And in that situation, I would say premium economy is enough. Definitely, I would keep it under six hours. My personal preference, keep the premium economy flights under six hours. That's, you know, maybe two to six hours is where it shines for me. Yeah. It, it all depends on the price. Let's say it's for a six hour flight, it's $200 extra for business, then go business. If it's $1,000 extra, of course, you can save your money <laughs> and go in premium economy. And on so many of those daytime flights, you know, I find myself never going into the 
the full flat position yeah. if I'm in a business class cabin because I'm I'm working and I'm you know or even if I'm just lounging it doesn't mean I'm I'm in flat bed mode I'm in the lounge position which many of those premium economy seats are able to recline to so it's a good option go with your gut go driven <laughs> by price and so on the, but, but yes it's the it's one tip yeah. I have to give because I've just done spoiler alert a little series comparing premium economy on different airlines so I hadn't loan premium economy long haul in several years now i feel like i'm sort of a premium economy expert and as a dedicated window seat flyer i realized in premium economy the aisle seat is the way to go because the recline is so much more dramatic than in economy that once the people in front of you recline and you're in a business or you're in a window seat forget about getting out of there without asking them to raise their seats which on, on a night flight, awkward. On a day flight, also awkward. So an aisle seat, at least you can get out. You feel a bit more freedom. You'll be bothered by the person next to you getting in and out. But that's just, for me, that's the biggest problem in premium economy that you feel so trapped once the people in front of yeah. you recline. You have a question? Oh, yes. I have a question from Brad. Nice name, Brad. That's my dad's name. So he asked. sure this isn't your dad asking the <laughs> no, question. No, it's not my dad. It's not. Uh, he asks, what are our thoughts on bringing small gifts for the cabin crew on flights? Have you thought about this? Have you ever done this? I have done it. I've done it a few times, but wasn't always completely random. So I've done it when I knew a crew member that was operating the crew. So I bought a operating the flight. So I bought a gift for the whole crew, chocolates, basically. Then I did it again when I was stranded in Toulouse from t- for two days because of cancelled flights and strike action. And I also happened to know that the crew were also stranded and they're also in the same hotel and I saw them in the lobby. But I didn't approach or engage or speak or whatever, but then I knew that, okay, most likely that's going to be my crew on, on the Lufthansa flight on the way back. And by coincidence, I had loads of, I think it was around the holidays, like it was around this time of year, loads of chocolate gifts that I was taking back anyway. So I thought the crew have been through all of this nightmare with us. So when I boarded, I said, guys, here you go. This is for you guys, because I know it's been a, and they were so grateful. And they wrote me a thank you card and everything. That was nice. So I've done it a few times. I think it's a very quick, easy, um, nice bit of recognition to give, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think you give it not expecting anything in return, just as a thank you. You know, it might be nice to carry one around in case you feel like the crew is better than normal, then that's kind of a, a way to recognize them. I, I did it one, yeah. the first time I did it, I bought uh, like a paper, you know, those Lindor boxes of chocolates where there's those round yes. individually packaged things. So it's a paper box. God, right? they are my favorite. <laughs> I know. Oh my God, that's so good. I'm going to order some now. <laughs> okay, hold on. Yeah. Let's finish the podcast. Okay. Yeah, go on, but, go on. Keep going. So I I'll bought one of them. <laughs> my suitcase <laughs> was so full, or my carry-on, that I sort of had to stuff it in. I didn't think much about it. But then the crew oh, came no. and they were so nice. And I was like, hold on, guys. I have a little gift for you. I told them before I took it out of my bag. <laughs> so I opened my bag and I realized, Oh my God, this thing (laughs) looks like it's been dragged through the mud. The paper was completely ruined. The chocolates were mushed. 
I was like, <laughs> oh. did you still give it to them or not? I did because most of the chocolates were not ruined. It was just the, the box. Yeah. I learned to buy something with a harder box if my carry-on is full. I've just done it a couple of times, but I think the idea is really nice. I don't think it should be, yeah. obviously shouldn't be an expectation to buy it, but I think it, no. I like the, in theory, having something with me, especially if the crew is great to give them as a reward, of course, in addition to writing a note to the airline, which is the best thing you can do for them if the crew is good to, to recognize yeah, them. To recognize, absolutely. And many airlines have dedicated pages where you can leave your feedback, yeah. which is really nice. Okay, so next week it's competition time again. One of you will be winning the goods that we have on offer in our giveaway. Again, all you need to do to enter is to send us a screenshot of where you are providing feedback to the podcast. Maybe it's leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, maybe it's rating it five stars on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and someone will be winning that and it will be announced next week. So you have between now and next week to get that screenshot into either myself or to Dan. By the way, we don't discriminate. Your review doesn't have to be five stars. If you review one star well, I, I, and you send it to us, you'll be entered true. as well. It's true. I just wanted to, you know, set a nice, give a nice hint when I said five star, but, but you know, it's a free world. We're all for democracy. Please yeah. do feel free to uh, rate and review however you wish to do so. We enjoy and love making the podcast because not least because we get to catch up, but we get to catch up with a whole bunch of thousands and thousands of listener friends that we now have uh, contributing and giving us the questions and talking points and being in touch. So it is always a pleasure. This wraps up today's episode. Dan, please go to Disneyland between now and next Wednesday. Mm, okay, that will be achievable. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just book a quick Let's flight to Dan Paris. To Disney. <laughs> Let's get down to Disney. You land in Paris, you get on the train at Charles de Gaulle, you get off at the next couple of stops. I think it's called Marne la Vallée. And uh, you're there and you're in the happiest place on earth. And you're welcome. Perfect. Okay. So you go order your Lindor and I'll go to Paris real quick. The Lindor has already been ordered. I'm looking at it. It's 19 minutes away. Wow. Okay. That's efficiency. Well, enjoy your Lindor. Guys, go and order Lindor if you want to as well. And we will talk to you soon. See you next time. See you later. On air. Bye-bye. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas.